You ready for this? Yeah. If is the most original and heartfelt movie in years. Magic like this comes around once in a lifetime. This Friday, experience it with your whole family. Can we do it again? If ready PG. And just like that, we're back. Ooh, I don't know how back we are. I'll detail that momentarily, but it is Thursday. It is February 11th, the year of our Lord, 2021. I've got a lot of really good stuff in the podcast this morning, but the reason I said I don't know how back I am is because let me just take you very, very quickly through the last 12 or so hours. So I was in Columbus for the last few days. I was back home visiting friends, family, etc. And so I know you, hey, we got a Thursday podcast. We got a Thursday night late kick live. I got to get home. So I drive home last night. I leave Columbus. It's about 70 degrees. I get to Nashville. Hey, it's low to mid-30s, but I get it. It's winter. Current situation, as I'm recording this morning outside my apartment building, our current weather condition, if you pull up the weather app, is thunderstorm 33 degrees. It's the most disgusting, disrespectful weather you will ever experience. A thunderstorm at 33 degrees. Miserable. And I'm actually going to have to go outside in a little while. So not necessarily looking forward to that. So what I'm telling you is for all the times you guys have thanked me for bringing you a podcast and getting you through your day, I need you this morning a whole heck of a lot more than you need me. Because right now I have an excuse to sit in this nice warm apartment building and about the time I hit stop on this is about the time that those excuses are going to go out the window. So happy Thursday to us all for sure. Uh, Five-star reviews appreciated in the Apple podcast section. You know what occurred to me the other day? One of you DM'd me and said, hey, I'm trying to give you a five-star review, man. I can't find where to do it, which I would have to classify as a valid concern. So if you're on the Late Kick page, you know, you search Late Kick, you go to the actual show page where you can pull up the episodes. I don't know why it's like this, but for most people, you'll have to scroll all the way down past all these ridiculous numbers of episodes we've done, and eventually you'll get to the bottom, and there you will find the ratings and review section. And that's where you can give the five-star review, and it's very much appreciated. You can also submit a question there. I got a couple this morning from the review section where people wisely have just chosen to put their questions right there in the podcast review. One other little housekeeping note. Late Kick Live is tonight. We've got a lot to talk about, as we always do. Kind of need to throw that phrasing out because I say it every show. But also, got some new bells and whistles. We're slowly going to be adding to the show. Uh, As I told you, I let you guys know about updates as I'm allowed to. Uh, There is bells and whistles right now being added. There is a cannon being added later this summer. Uh, It's not another person, so a lot of you guessed that. No, you'll know. Trust me, you'll know. But we've got some new production folks. We have uh, been given access to a few more resources, and so we're looking forward to that. So check it out tonight. Uh, Some you'll notice, some you won't, but feedback, as always, is appreciated. So let's dive into the Late Kick Extra portion of the Late Kick Extra podcast. All Q&A. We do them Tuesday and Thursday morning. Quickly, joshpate706 at gmail.com. If you want to submit a question, you can also DM me on Twitter at LateKickJosh. Sean, kicking us off this morning. Sean wants to know, why do people hate Notre Dame's independence and do they have a point? Well, Sean, I think a lot of people who were even indifferent on this have now certainly developed an opinion one way or the other. So quickly, what Sean's talking about is obviously most other teams are in a conference and Notre Dame is not in a normal season. Well, this past year was not a normal season. So even if someone had previously said, I don't care, I don't care what Notre Dame does, let them live their life up there in South Bend. Well, then they saw Notre Dame in the ACC. And not only that, they saw them play a really, really good year in the ACC. 
And I think a lot of people looked around at the end of that season, the regular season this year, and they realized, wait a second, if Notre Dame was independent, that means they wouldn't have a conference championship game to play. And that means they'd probably be in the playoff most years. And as it turns out, since they had to play a conference title game and they got smashed, that's the only thing that kept them out. So then, previously indifferent person, their mind tells them, well, that means we need to put this team in a conference. It's not fair. And I get that point of view. I certainly get that approach. Here is my counter. Uh, my counters, we've talked about this before on this podcast. My counter has been, Sean, you or anyone else out there who has a legitimate beef with Notre Dame, your beef is not with Notre Dame. And I know that because of this. If I were to put you in the position of being the athletic director at Notre Dame, what would you do different? And pause before you start making these definitive answers. Pause and think about what I said. I didn't say you get to choose what to do with Notre Dame. I said you're the AD at Notre Dame, which means you have Notre Dame's best interest at the forefront, not necessarily what's in the best interest of college football. So if you have all these things, you have total autonomy over your schedule, so you're not boxed into playing eight teams a year. They kind of are because they have an agreement with the ACC, but they entered into that agreement. So you have schedule autonomy, so you can play your national schedule every year. You have your own unique TV deal, so they have with NBC essentially what entire conferences have. Like the SEC has a deal with ESPN. The SEC has a deal with CBS. Notre Dame has their own TV deal. So they're not giving anything up. They're not sacrificing anything from a TV rights perspective by not being in a conference. Now, their paycheck from NBC certainly might not be as big as the entire collective TV package that you would get if you were the Big Ten with Fox or the SEC with CBS. But they're also not really worried about it because they'll never be hurting for money because their endowment's like $47 quadrillion. And so Notre Dame has the scheduling autonomy. They have the TV flexibility, and then they're also not boxed out because they have a seat at the table that is equal to another conference when it comes to the college football playoff, when it comes not to the selection process, I mean, but when it comes to figuring out the mechanisms and voting on this and that Notre Dame has its own seat at the table. So Sean or anyone else out there who claims you do something different, now that I've presented those things, could you tell me any reason why you would voluntarily change things? I certainly wouldn't. I've always said I'd do exactly what Notre Dame does until someone forced my hand. Well, who's going to force Notre Dame's hand? I mean, if you've got a big problem with this, don't direct your ire at Notre Dame. Direct your ire elsewhere at the rest of the college football complex that allows that to happen. Now, again, my personal stance on this is I've, I really am indifferent on it. I am one of the last, I think I'm kind of a unicorn. I'm one of the last people out here who looks at Notre Dame's independence and says, eh, you know, I mean, if I had my way, if, if you choose, if you made me choose one way or the other, yeah, I'd like him to be in a conference, uh, but it's not keeping me up at night. And I also don't see any year where it's taken a wrecking ball to the playoff format, that it's egregiously put Notre Dame in and egregiously kept someone out. I mean, you can make little arguments here and there, but by and large, I think every year they've been in, they belonged in, and they've never been kept out in a year where otherwise they should have been in. I don't think it's really messed anything up. So I'm cool with it. But Sean, I think the reason that people hate or some people hate Notre Dame's independence is just because it's a different set of rules they're playing by. And I understand just in principle alone why you get very, very aggravated. And I always thought and still do think that the one thing that may make Notre Dame rethink their own position is if the time comes where they are in a situation 
where they go into the final weekend of the season in the top four, but they're sitting at home while someone else is playing a conference title game. You know, think about this upcoming year. I'm just going to selfishly use a scenario that I hope happens. Let's say Oklahoma was the number one seed. Let's say Iowa State was the number six seed. And Notre Dame is somewhere in the top four, okay? So let's just say for argument's sake, the top four is Oklahoma, Alabama, Clemson, and then Notre Dame. And then my Iowa State Cyclones are number five. They're playing Oklahoma in the Big 12 title game. You know, Alabama's playing someone in the SEC title game. Clemson's playing someone in the ACC title game. But Notre Dame's not. They're sitting at home. Let's say Iowa State beats Oklahoma 26 to 23. OU was the number one seed. They're not falling all the way out, nor should they. I'm not going to punish them for having to play a reward game, the Big 12 title game. I'm not dropping them all the way out. I am, however, absolutely putting Iowa State in. And if Bama and Clemson both win, they're not going anywhere. Well, who's the odd man out? It's Notre Dame. And so my big question has been, hasn't happened yet, but my big question has been, what would the reaction be in South Bend if they get bumped out And it's obvious they got bumped out because they didn't play in a conference championship game. They didn't have a conference title game to play in. That, to me, Sean, is what you need to root for. If you want to see that structure change, that's what you should root for. Uh, Eric is next up. I got two questions. Yes, he does. And Eric, we're going to answer one now and one later. So Eric says, my first question is, since you believe in having a group of five playoff, how do you feel about having two national champions at the FBS level, which that would provide? I wonder if you believe it would cause even more debate and whether we are devaluing a national title by having two champions. That's a good question. No, I don't think it would devalue it. And Eric, to be honest with you, I don't care about it. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying. I certainly care about the product. I would love, as Eric said, I've said it before, I would love to have uh, what you would call, I guess, a Power 5 playoff. Basically, the existing college football playoff just add in an added filter where it's a tournament that only Power 5 teams are qualifying for and then build an entire separate playoff that's much more realistic, that admits the obvious, that there is a vast difference between the typical G5 and Power 5 levels of college football, whether it be financial, whether it be typical strength of schedule, and just have a G5 playoff. And then you get a national champion at the G5 level. Everybody from Tulsa to Cincinnati to uh, Houston and everywhere in between, they enter the beginning of the season knowing they got a legit shot at a national championship. And at the same time, we're not continuing this facade of, of pretending that Louisiana Monroe and the University of Georgia are competing in the same sport. They're not. They never have been. And so that's my answer to everyone who complains about the little guys not getting a shot, will build a system where they get a shot. Stop trying to shoehorn them into a system that really they don't belong in because of the vast inequality in college football and inequality that can't be erased. This is not a system that is built for equality. It's certainly not. This is not the NFL. It's not pro sports, period. I hear so many people say, well, the NFL has a playoff and everyone's qualified and, and even... For the auto bid crowd, if you win your division in the NFL, you automatically get a spot. Do you know why that is? Take the parity out of it. Just take the parity out of it. That is the reason, but take the parity out of it. The reason why the NFL can do what they want with their structure is because the National Football League is an entity that was built solely for football teams to compete against each other. They built the platform with that in mind. It's like if we were to go and start playing baseball in the sandbox in elementary school, we are as, we are accepting uh, at the outset of that game, we are playing a sport 
on a platform that wasn't necessarily designed to play baseball on. Now, if we go over to a baseball field, the baseball field, there's first base, second base, third base, home plate. Everything's good because we're on a baseball field. If we're playing on the sandbox, you know, the edge of the swing set has to be first base. And over there at the base of the slide, that's second base. And uh, here over here at the corner of the sandbox, that's our home plate. You got to make it up as you go. College football is the same thing. College football, colleges, the, the American university system was not originally built or constructed to house athletic departments. Athletic departments were vestiges that came along decades later in most cases, and they just kind of figured out a way to compete against each other. And so naturally, what do you get when that happens? Well, you get some places that are programs connected to universities that have been around 150 years, and then you get other programs connected to universities that have been around 60 years. You get places like the University of Alabama where they've been winning national titles since the 1920s in some shape, form, or fashion. And then you get another place like Central Florida that we've never heard of like 25 years ago. How in the world are we going to have equality in that? The answer is you're not. I mean, what did you guys think was going to happen? Did you really think you were going to walk up to these folks who have been investing in this stuff for over a century and say, hey, it's all well and good that you've been taking football seriously for over a century and my grandma who turns 100 next year wasn't even around when some of you guys were winning national titles and starting to build the skeletal outframes of what your stadiums now are. It's all well and good that you did that, but hey, if it's all right with you, we're going to hit the reset button now because uh, Boise needs a seat at the table. They're not going for that. They never were going for that. I wouldn't go for it if I were them. You wouldn't go for it if you were them, by the way. You wouldn't do it either. So let's just construct the new system. Now, having said that, the question from Eric was, well, are you scared it's going to it's gonna devalue a national title by having two champions? Of course not. Well, no. Uh, well, I say of course not like it's obvious. For me, it's obvious. I don't want to sound insulting in my answer. For me, Eric, no. I don't worry about that at all. I'm not concerned about that at all. But I also think in the other part where you ask if I was worried that it would cause more debate, I don't care. I don't care what people say. Talk about it. for Hey, man, it may even give a few more people jobs in this industry, for all I know. Talk about it all you want to. I normally block that stuff out. I, as I've told you before, I am not a believer, never have been, never will be, that just because people are upset, it means something has to change. People are upset about everything all the time. That's why it never seems like there's status quo. It never seems like in the modern digital media age and the social media age, it, it never seems like we just maintain status quo for five minutes. Everything's constantly got to be evolving. There's a problem here. There's a problem there. Nothing can stay the same. Everything's got to be changing. Well, I'm not necessarily about that. If there's an egregious problem, yeah, fix it. Go after it. A lot of the problems that are made to look egregious these days, college football or otherwise, they're not really that. It's just someone bored at like 2.35 in the afternoon on a Tuesday, and then a few other people say, hey, I'm bored too. Yawn. Hashtag trending. All right, let's change it. Let's do it. Got to do it. So no, Eric, I'm not worried about any of those things. And I absolutely would love that redefined structure. Now, here is where you, I think, could shoot a hole in my argument. And I've already brought this up before, and I'll, I'll just mention it again as we move on. How do you define Power 5? How do you define G5? Is there just this permanent ceiling on G5 and this permanent floor on P5? I would, um, I would push back strongly against that argument, and I'm the one making it, okay? So I would push back against that portion of the argument. I got I to gotta think that we have to maintain fluidity in what qualifies as one and what qualifies as the other. I know there's the regulation concept, 
uh, from the European soccer model where at any given year, you're capable of being rewarded for performance and rising from the very top of the bottom tier. Conversely, you are fully capable of being punished and dropping from the bottom of the top tier. I, I don't know how realistic that is, but some form or fashion of that ideology has to be involved because as I said the other day, if Oregon and USC, if they don't pick it up and become true perennial national powers and the rest of the Pac-12 remains as is, and the AAC continues to surge, which it has, and it's not been one conference, who is the face? Who is the face of the ACC right now? It's not the way it looked a few years ago where it's Central Florida and then a lot of other really good teams. Any given year, could be Houston, could be Memphis. This year it was Cincinnati. That's a really solid conference. Uh, it sounds like I hate on them. I'm not hating on them at all. In fact, the opposite. I think right now it may be a better conference in any given year. It certainly has had the argument of being a deeper conference top to bottom than the Pac-12. So I don't know, and that's where we got to figure stuff out. I'm leaving the open end on this question because I don't know where Power 5 ends and G5 begins right now. That would be the infinitely more murky debatable, legitimately debatable portion of that answer for me, Eric. Jordan, producer Jordan, by the way, slipped in this morning. He he DM'd me and he said, when am I getting the podcast to edit? And I told him a time. Uh, so far, we're on schedule. And then he said, all right, now can you answer my question? What's your favorite tag team of all time? Jordan, I think what you want me to say is the Rock and Roll Express or the Midnight Express or the Road Warriors, and there you can't go wrong with any of those. However, you have to remember, when I was a wee tot and I was coming along in what the pro wrestling world calls the Attitude Era of the late 90s, I was essentially a perfect slice of the demographic that pro wrestling was targeting. I was a middle school kid, and I was hearing my buddies talk about wrestling, and I'd I'd not grown up watching it, but peer pressure is a powerful thing. I never succumbed to drugs, never done a single drug in my life. I didn't succumb to some other things, but boy, I came to pro wrestling. And so I also knew I wasn't allowed to watch it. (laughs) Pro wrestling was a little bit edgy in the late 90s. Naturally, you got to find a way to watch it. And so we started setting up a, a very elaborate tape trading system on the underground pro wrestling tape trading scene at Harris County Carver Middle School. At least that's what it was called then. And so here's what would happen. I could not watch it on Monday night. We had an unspoken bond amongst all the guys at Harris County Carver Middle School where no one was allowed to spoil the previous night's results in the locker room or anywhere in the lunchroom, and tape trading was going on. So like uh, one of my buddies named A.T., he was tasked with bringing the VHS tape of the previous night's Monday Night Raw to school. Then we would pass it very covertly. In fact, now that I think about it, sort of unnecessarily covertly, we were kind of acting like a cartel, and in reality, we were just handing off pro wrestling tapes to each other. So then here's what happens. We got to get home, and then me and my next-door neighbor, we have got to get that VHS watched because we have a precious small window of time from the time we get off the bus at about 3.30, to the time that mom or dad or both may get home from work at about five, we got about an hour and a half to watch two hours worth of pro wrestling, which means we can fast forward through the commercials and get it in just in time. That's how we had to watch back in the day. And I say all that to tell you this. That's where I was introduced to the tag team called the New Age Outlaws, which was Road Dog Jesse James, uh, blank, blank, Billy Gunn. That was my favorite tag team because that's the one that I first came to love. And then afterwards, you know, once you go back and you learn the history of the business, then you hear about the Road Warriors. And the Road Warriors were still active then. Then you hear about the Rock and Roll Express, the Midnight Express. 
But my first love was the New Age Outlaws, Jordan. And so that's my favorite tag team, Jordan. And that is why I have their poster. Yeah, I'm not going to finish that sentence. All right, let's move on. Eric's second question. Eric's second question is a doozy. He says, how do you think a program like Oklahoma or LSU can land amongst the elite tier one programs like Bama, Ohio State, and Clemson and not just rent a space there for a year like LSU did, but to stay there? and enjoy perennial success like their respective Tier 1 programs? Well, the first question here is, have the right head coach. If you have the right head coach, you got the right structure in place. There is no doubt in my mind Oklahoma has the right head coach. There is a little bit more doubt in my mind LSU does, and that's relatively speaking. Okay, I'm not saying Ed Orgeron is some disaster or anything like that, but I have more confidence in the stability of the Oklahoma program. The second thing you have to get figured out, obviously, is quarterback. And once you get quarterback figured out, Quarterback recruiting gets figured out after that. It's sort of a chicken-egg thing, but Oklahoma's had that for a while. LSU, the reason that they were able to explode, obviously, in 2019, is due in large part to the play of Joe Burrow. And they have they have gotten quarterback play. They've gotten quarterback talent. They just signed, for instance, Garrett Nussmeyer in this last class. Saw a guy like Max Johnson come on strong at the latter portions of the 2020 season. Hopefully, that's able to carry over. But again, think about the kinds of uncertainty we have at now head coach and quarterback at LSU relative to Oklahoma. See, to me, Oklahoma's there. They just haven't won a national title. But Oklahoma's already there. There is very little hesitation on my end before I place Oklahoma in Tier 1. And the only way I don't place them there in Tier 1 is if we're adding in qualifiers. And one of the qualifiers is you have to have won a national title. Now, the other barrier that I think some of you may have in your mind and I understand this barrier. The other barrier may be, well, I've seen Oklahoma have to face those teams, i.e. Oklahoma versus LSU a few years ago, Oklahoma versus Bama. Well, that was last year. Oklahoma versus Bama a few years ago. And you've seen them go up against the big boys, and you've seen them fall flat, get down 28 to nothing, or get splattered all over the place in Atlanta. I think LSU had like half a hundred by halftime. And you're basically thinking to yourself, yeah, they play good offense, but I mean, it's a crackerjack conference out there when they get into a big time playoff situation against a big time tier one program, they fall because they can't play defense. And you're right that they haven't. They haven't been able to do that. I am very confident that the defensive product is rapidly being rectified at Oklahoma to the point where I think Lincoln Riley's probably going to have the best team he's had so far this year. Obviously, injuries could get in the way of that and whatnot, but that could happen anywhere. But Lincoln Riley is about to put the best team, I think, that he's had to date at Oklahoma on the field, and it'll be the most balanced team that he's had. They'll be really good offensively, but if you were watching Oklahoma in the back half of this past season, they were playing better defense than a lot of teams that were in playoff contention. Now, they had dropped a couple of games early. They didn't belong in the playoff conversation, but that's 2020. You know, a lot of that's coming back, and that, I mean, nothing about that philosophy is going anywhere in 2021. They didn't lose Alex Grinch or anything like that. So I'm really excited to watch Oklahoma. I've got them number two right now in my power ratings for the 2021 season, uh, which could change, but I got them number two right now. So, Eric, I got to be honest with you, I have Oklahoma up there, but once you get head coach figured out and once you get quarterback figured out, obviously the recruiting aspect has to be figured out too, and you have to. You don't have to be recruiting in the top three every year, but you got to be inside the top 10. I, I firmly believe that. I know there may be occasional exceptions to the rule, but if you're going to have a sustained run, you can't be recruiting outside the top 10. You simply can't 
because too many other programs you're going to compete against are not just in the top 10 every year. They're in the top five every year. One of them at Alabama is in the top two every year. So those are the things you have to have figured out. All right, JoJo, first time I've heard from JoJo, hopefully not the last. I don't know if this is the same guy that just signed with Alabama. JoJo Earl, my favorite name, I think, from this entire recruiting cycle. But JoJo, last name not mentioned, asked, how long does it take to write the script for an episode of Late Kick? And the answer, JoJo, is zero minutes and zero seconds because we don't script anything. All that happens is uh, we have a Google Doc that Director Colin and I share. And I'll put in there uh, two things. I'll put in there the lower thirds, you know, which is just the little thing you see at the bottom of the screen. I'll put the lower thirds that delineate which segments we're doing on tonight's show. I'll give you an example. On tonight's show, we're going to talk about Georgia. And this is if there's no breaking news today. We're going to talk about Georgia. We're going to do a mood tracker for Miami and Auburn. And I'm actually going to talk about the video game, the college football video game. Uh, but it's going to be presented in a way where if you've never played a video game in your life, it's still very interesting to you because I don't play video games. Uh, but I think it's very, very important. Anyway, so I'm going to go in that Google Doc and I'll put four different lower thirds. Director Colin knows, A, that means we're doing four different unique segments that he's going to have to clip for individual use for the YouTube channel and the web later on. And then B, he knows which elements together. So I don't have to do any of that. Director Colin knows if we're going to talk about Georgia for seven minutes, I need to go find some B-roll of Georgia, Kirby Smart, whatever. That is about it. There is no scripting. I, I use minimal notes, kind of like right now in the podcast. I'm sitting here in a hoodie with my hands in my pockets, and we're just talking because it's very free-flowing. And the way I always thought about that, and everyone has their own style. I'm just telling you this is how I do mine. But, JoJo, the way I've always summed that up for someone is if you and I, JoJo, if you and I were to go to Clearview Barbecue down in Columbus, Georgia, where I used to eat lunch every day, if you and I were to go over to Clearview today, uh, we would not take notes with us, but yet we would almost certainly talk about college football, right? So would we ever struggle? Would we ever stutter? Would would you enter into a sentence about your opinion of the SEC and then all of a sudden look around and say, hold on, hold on, let me think. Let me pull my phone out. Let me see where I want to go here. You wouldn't because you know how you feel. You know what you think and what you believe and you just talk. You know, and then hopefully you chew and then you take a breath and then you'd keep talking. You wouldn't need notes. We're not talking about astrophysics here. If we were talking about astrophysics, yeah, I probably have a probably have an index card or two with some notes written on it. We're just talking about, you know, whether Texas is going to be able to come back bigger and stronger than ever under Steve Sarkeesian. No one needs notes for that. No one does. Well, I don't, at least. And so I'm very comfortable just doing it off the fly. I prefer it that way. It's also why I prefer live over pre-recorded. We do these podcasts. And I'll stop and start these things a few times. And the only reason is because subconsciously, you know you're operating with a safety net under you. I cannot explain the, the psychological aspect of that, but it just does not deliver the same kind of, I guess you would call it subconscious adrenaline that live does, live performance, live TV, live radio. And so I prefer live. Uh, we could do the YouTube show pre-recorded and we could probably not miss anything from an element or flavor perspective. I want it live. Because I grew up in live radio, uh, news. So Jojo, I guess what I'm telling you is the real key to life is never prepare notes and make yourself as vulnerable as possible in front of people at all times. It'll take you a long way. Now here's a transition. How many of you have ever talked about coach speak? Every single, I see hands all over the place. Every single one of you, myself included. Well, we got a question about coach speak and it's a good one. And it's one of those mystery questions because I don't have the name of the person who submitted it. We're going to hit it, though, right after this. 
All right, Mystery Submitter asks, how hard is it to understand coach speak? So this one is a very, very open-ended question, obviously. You can go many different ways with this. I answered this, and then I backspaced in my mind. So I guess, Jojo, I guess I needed notes for this one. Uh, I, I couldn't decide how I wanted to answer this. So let me go a few different ways. We're just going to do this abstract stream of thought. I think it's easy to understand it because most of the time it's pretty mindless. It's pretty surfacy. However, here's the next area I went. How do we know what coach speak is? Because to understand it is can, can, can be interpreted, how do you understand when you're hearing it? Now, let me tell you this, and I've spoken about this at length recently. Just because you hear something repeated a lot, that does not automatically mean it's coach speak. Because I think coach speak has become synonymous with someone just throwing out fluff and filler. And, you know, it's a bunch of cliches that coaches may use to filibuster the time in the press conference in lieu of actually saying something substantive. Now, Gus Malzahn, bless his heart, is probably the world champion at coach speak. Gus Malzahn has about seven to ten key phrases that he uses in any combination. It's like Hulk Hogan. We were talking about pro wrestling earlier. Hulk Hogan, you know, his promos consisted of about seven to ten different phrases that were turned sideways or upside down or combined in unique manners. And that was his promo. And he got the same thing for 15 years. It was the same way with Gus Malzahn in a press conference. You know, I can guarantee you, no matter if two of his players literally escaped the field and ran out of the tunnel and quit football in the middle of the third quarter, if they lose a game, he's coming to the podium post game and he's saying, I can promise you this, though. We will get better. We will be better because of this. Now, there's no guarantee. I've seen Auburn lose games before and their seasons spiral out of control. Well, Gus Malzahn lied to me that day, right? It doesn't matter. He's, he's on autopilot. And so Gus Malzahn, that's one way. Uh, if you're talking about spotting coach speak, just watch a Gus Malzahn press conference. You'll spot the coach speak. However, let me go up the road a little bit. Since we interviewed Nick Saban the other day, let's go to Alabama because I think a lot of people mistake some of the stuff he says as coach speak. It's not. He just says it over and over again. What I think happens sometimes is when people listen to ultra successful folks like Nick Saban and they hear him constantly talk about the process and constantly talk about doing things the right way day in and day out. Focus on the process instead of the prize. Uh, accomplishment and success creates a blatant disregard for doing things the right way. You keep hearing him say these things. Some out there mistakenly take that as coach speak. It's not. He's actually laying out the blueprint and his formula for success. Here's the catch. Most people think it has to be more complicated than that. Most people think, well, number one, if he's telling me that, he would never tell me his real secret. So it's got to be coach speak. And number two, well, that was one sentence. Process over prize? One day at a time? Focus on the next play like it has a history and life of its own? Those are easy. No, this guy's winning multiple national champions and or championships and filling out the first round of the draft every year. It's got to be something more deep than that. It's not. It's, it's, it's kind of the point I'm making. It's not. But because what he's saying sounds kind of boring, and you know, you got folks out there who are paying thousands of dollars to go hear motivational speakers talk for two hours, you think that the real secret should sound a lot more like the guy that you went out to the convention center next to the airport to hear, and a lot less like Nick Saban. No, it's not that. When someone like Nick Saban says, uh, you know, the secret to my success is I just focus on process over prize. I focus on doing what it takes to achieve the result instead of focusing on the result. That's really what it is. And their players think and talk the same way, especially the ones who are like juniors and seniors and they've been around there for a while. They all sound the same. So either they're all taught coach speak 
or they are they are immersed in an ideology and then they reflect it and they echo it and all the sentiments the same and the vision is the same every successful organization does that it takes on the mentality of its leadership so that's what alabama is but my point is it's not coach speak just cause someone is saying the same thing all the time sometimes it is but that's not an automatic qualifier for something being coach speak uh, we had a good podcast this morning, I think. We've got a good show tonight, I think. Again, remember, though, no notes, live. Things could go off the rails, or it could be spectacular. Either way, though, it's still 33 degrees and pouring rain outside, and I'm about to have to go out. So I appreciate you guys for keeping me company as long as you have this morning. Uh, one other thing. So remember, the inbox is always open, joshpate706 at gmail.com. If you want to submit questions, you can do it that way. If you want to book a Zoom session with me about getting into sports media or any kind of media, you can do it that way. Also, as we sort of creep, creep, creep towards adding some new things to Late Kick, that merchandising option, I just kind of threw it out there the other day. Man, a lot of you guys jumped on that. And that's the reason I threw it out there because so many of you, and when I say dozens per week, I'm not kidding you. Dozens of you per week are asking, man, when can we buy t-shirts? When, when can we buy this and that? Um, here is what I want from you. I want your ideas. I want to crowdsource this. So I don't want to be making crap, which we're not going to. But I also don't want to be focusing on trying to make stuff that you guys aren't going to want. I want to know what you want. So hit me up. You know how to get in touch with me. You let me know what you want, and then we'll kind of produce as needed. Maybe that's the way we go. So again, joshpate706 at gmail.com, at LateKickJosh on Twitter. I got to get a move on here. You guys have a great day. We'll see you tonight on Late Kick Live. For Producer Jordan, I am Josh Pate. Have a great rest of your Thursday, and God bless. <laughs>